You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, January 9th, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta. And joining me on this podcast is Slash Film News Writer and Box Office Analyst Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? It's going good. Um, let's talk about, you know, we have Ryan on. So obviously, you know that we're going to talk about the box office. And this weekend was actually pretty interest for, interesting for a January weekend. Yeah, um, I I was, you know, feeling cynical about certain things regarding the box office last year, but I had sort of, we'd sort of talked about how I thought January or how I thought 2023 was going to sort of be this, you know, another slow climb to leading us to greener pastures towards something resembling normalcy. Uh, th- this weekend was, in my view, phenomenal. Um, Avatar The Way of Water... Of course, topped the box office again, made another $45 million, though, and only dropped 33%. And it is now over $1.7 billion worldwide, putting it above Jurassic World, making it the seventh highest grossing movie of all time. This thing is not slowing down, and in some ways it's actually picking up steam, <laughs> um, sort of doing what I didn't know if it could do. And it, at this point, it's looking like $2 billion is pretty much assured, so that's pretty damn incredible um but that wasn't the only thing what we really had this this week which was great was the perfect bit of counter-programming uh universal pictures and blumhouse released megan the uh the sci-fi horror thriller with the uh dancing killer robot that we've all seen on tiktok and on the internet um it did exceedingly well uh predictions heading into the weekend had it at the top end at about 20 million which for the record, would have been great because the movie only cost twelve million to produce. It did thirty point two million dollars, so it did like fifty percent more than expected, which is incredible. 
Um, you know, so, you know, reviews from critics have been stellar. It's still like 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, B Cinema Score, which is pretty good. So word of mouth figures to be good. You're looking at a movie that's probably going to make $100 million easy, which is fantastic. Uh, to illustrate how good it is. Wait, wait, wait a second. Blumhouse has another hit in their hands? No. Okay, but this is like Blumhouse. The thing about Blumhouse is that it's all relative, right? Because they can make movies very cheaply. But yeah. like this is this is a real deal hit. Like this isn't like it, this is this is, you know, I mean, any studio would have killed to have this. And, you know, you have James Wan producing. So that's that's helpful. And um, uh, you've got the makings of a franchise for sure. But January is typically a dumping ground for Hollywood. Even even pre pandemic years, January is a dead zone. This is the first time a movie has opened to, to $30 million or more since 2012 when the devil inside did it. So this it's been it's been what uh, uh, 11 years since a movie opened to more than $30 million in the first week of January. Uh, uh, so, I mean, that's pretty incredible. Uh, the only other thing I'd point out is that A Man Called Otto, um, the new Tom Hanks movie, doing okay with critics, but really good word of mouth with audiences. It opened at a few theaters last week and did well. Made four point two million this weekend in just six hundred and thirty-seven theaters. Had a stellar uh, per theater average of over sixty-five hundred dollars. Um, you know, looking like it's going to be a, a good bet for Sony Pictures, uh, a, a, an original. Well, it's a remake of a Swedish movie, but like for all intents and purposes, the way that audiences perceive it, it's an original adult oriented movie and it's doing well. The only concern I have is that it's, you know, got a $50 million budget, but in expansion, it, it could do well. And, and it's looking like it's serving that audience. So, you know, overall a very encouraging weekend. Megan doing well in January. Do you think like, um, I, I know it's probably like 10, 15 years back now at this point, but you know, March used to be thought as uh, as kind of like a, a slow month for movies, and then Zack Snyder came onto the scene, and I forget which movie he did in March. Actually, I think most of his movies have released. Yeah, on... I think what was it wasn't three hundred in March. Yeah, three hundred. All of his, a lot of his movies is released on the same weekend in March. It became the Zack Snyder date, and that kind of pro- was a proving ground for big action films in March and like now you know obviously non-Zack Snyder action films have now been releasing in March uh so I'm wondering do you think this Megan this bigger Megan release date will will result in anything do you think that means like uh January is now home to horror I mean horror's done well in January like we had Scream last well last year open in January so that's not like horror's kind of been the thing that can do good in January but I think the difference with Megan is that it's a PG-13 movie. It's more sci-fi than it is hardcore horror. And, um, you know, I think what you're sort of seeing is that, like, okay, look, there's an opportunity here. There's, you know, you need to look at places on the calendar and give yourself the best, you know, situation to succeed. And January doesn't have to be a dumping ground. You can sort of, you know, take what, you know, what's what's there. And, um yeah, so I think it, it opens the door for studios to look at that in the future because I've seen that change. Right when I started sort of getting into this stuff, it was around the time when March and April started becoming more blockbuster territory. Um, but the other, but since I've been doing it, the two months I've always looked at and thought you can do better are January and September. And September has <laughs> been shifting a bit. But yeah, I think those are the two months where our t- things are typically dead and they don't have to be. 
Um, so, you know, th- but this was a real good start to the year, I think. Yeah. And I, I, I know this is probably going to be a conversation we have week to week, Ryan. So I apologize to the listeners in advance, but you know, James Cameron's avatar is still skyrocketing. I, I sent you this graph from the numbers.com, which I'll, I'll link in the show notes, but it's interesting. It, 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 the numbers basically lays out what the box office prospects are for a movie based on its opening weekend and where it's expected to go. And Avatar Way of Water, like for the first couple weekends, was kind of in the range of where you would expect a film with that big of an opening weekend would go. And then uh, over the last week or two has kind of climbed outside of that and is skyrocketing up. Uh, up and to the right is what they call it. Uh, and, uh, so, so how high do you think Avatar The Way of Water is going to go? If I were to guess right now, and again, it's hard to guess because this movie has been doing some like kind of unpredictable weird stuff um, in terms of how it's holding, what countries it's making its money in. Because the thing is, I'm not as good at looking at like individual countries and how those trends are in individual countries. Like the one thing I know is it's not making nearly as much in Japan as the original did um, for one. But if I were to guess right now, I'd say around 2.2 billion would maybe be where I would see it kind of starting to taper out uh, with Ant-Man coming and stuff. uh, And you have a little bit more competition coming down the pipeline. Um, That would be my guess. But I mean, which, which would obviously be, you know, unbelievably good for any movie you know even this movie even the movie with this budget so i've officially been silenced in my skepticism that was you know uh, leading into this a little bit 2.2 billion dollars is a lot of money uh where where would where would that put that in the pantheon i mean that gets it i think to number three all time uh uh, let me, because I, I, I think, because you know, you've got Endgame and the original Avatar. It'd get it to two or three, depending, because Titanic is at two point two oh one. So you know, if it can do just a tiny bit more than that, so it, it's it at least ends up in the top four, maybe top three all time is kind of where I'm thinking right now. Yeah, and even if it ends up in the top four, three of those movies are directed by James Cameron. <laughs> Yeah, and the other one is Avengers Endgame, which is like almost like it, it's almost unfair in the sense that like it it was the conclusion of like eighteen other blockbuster movies. It was such a singular thing. Um, but yeah, you know James Cameron never never doubting the man again. Yeah, and James Cameron has talked a lot about how this is the. <laughs> the, one of the worst money moves in the history of, of cinema. I forget what the the quote was. Uh, you talked about they, how it was like a bad business bet because of like the amount of money he was asking because he had to do all this work up front. But, you know, clearly yeah. it was fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it, there was a moment there, Ryan, that I was thinking, I was reading between the lines and it sounded like James Cameron was like hedging his bets. Like he was making things like, oh, I'm not sure if I'll come back and direct, you know, Avatar. You know, I forget what numbers he said. And then he put out the, you know, this needs to reach almost $2 billion to be profitable, which a lot of people were questioning, like, how is that possible? And we've talked about that in the past. Uh, but I was I was actually looking at um, a YouTube video over the, the weekend, Ryan. And one thing I think we haven't talked about on this podcast is probably nothing new to you. Uh, 
is obviously we have mentioned that movie studios make uh, less or they, they make more of the cut from theatrical in the first opening weekends. And as time goes by, the exhibitors make more and the cut for the studio becomes less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and th- that's something that is is normal place. But with a movie like Avatar, uh, it's unlike other blockbusters where most of the movie, uh, most of the money is made in the first two weekends. Here, it seems like most of the money is going to be made in in the long tail of things. Uh, but the, the the aspect of this that I wasn't thinking about is that internationally, uh, it's even less of a cut because there's like a entertainment taxes and all this yeah. other stuff. Well, that's like China is the big one I always talk about. I don't know what it is in every other country, but China is the big example of like it was, you know, for studios to even chase China box office can be a bit of a, you know, a bit of a fool's errand because you only get 25% of that money back, give or take, you know? So if you make $200 million in China, you're only going to get 50 million back. And I say only, you know, like <laughs> these numbers, but, but you know, it's, it, you have to still market it there and marketing still costs what it costs. So it can be tricky. Yeah. So like if you have a movie that's making most of its money in the long tail and, uh, you know, so then already the, like the theaters are probably taking like something like 60% in the, in exhibitor in uh, studios getting 40%. And then on top of that, you got to give like 15% to like the country or, or whatever it is then you're even less. So it, it now makes more sense to me why it needs to make as much as it needs to make yeah. to to be profitable. Uh, but anyways, uh, you know what? James Cameron has, uh, <laughs> he did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter and he did talk about the future of this franchise. He says, quote, it looks like just with the momentum that the film has now, that will it will easily pass our break even in the next few days. So it looks like I can't wiggle out of this. I'm going to have to do the other sequels. I know what I'm going to be doing for the next six or seven years. The point is, we're going to be okay. So it looks like uh, James Cameron's going to be spending a large portion of the, the the rest of his career making Avatar movies, which I'm sure some people are disappointed about. about. Uh, some people are probably happy about. I, I know which camp you fall into on this, Ryan. Yeah, we don't need to we don't need to go over that. But uh, but again, my thing is that, like, what I am happy about is having like another very viable theatrical blockbuster franchise. Um, I think it's very important because those still continue to drive, you know, ticket sales, keep theaters alive. And, you know, like having more than superheroes is very, very, very important. And so the fact that we don't have to wait another 13 years for an avatar, that it will be in a couple of years um and you know that's good that's very good especially with like jurassic wrapping up at least for a time you know fast and furious wrapping up its mainline stuff here in the next couple of years it's good to have this uh and look i'm not one to harsh anyone else's buzz if you like what you like i like what i like so like a good there's a lot of people that enjoy these movies that's good man like i have no i have no beef with that so he's saying that this means the next six years of his life are going to be spent making Avatar. So does that mean that to me sounds like it's not just, you know, Avatar three and four. That's five, maybe six. Well, I think he's done at five. I think he said five would be, you know, like he's got it all mapped out where five is the story he wants to tell. And so I'm guessing, 
it's a situation where it's probably so at this point like three is already pretty much in the can so they're gonna have to release that four is partially shot and i would imagine given these returns disney would feel comfortable moving ahead with four but if cameron's gonna shoot the rest of four it's another one of those situations where it probably makes financial sense to just do four and five in terms of scheduling budget sets getting everyone together so like yeah, I would imagine if if Cameron's going to do four, he's also going to do five just for money reasons. Um, because then in the long, long term, you can sell big box sets of all five movies. You have five <laughs> releases of five 4K Ultra HD movies. You have more theme park stuff. You have more merchandise. You have more character investment. You have more theme park opportunities. So like, I guess at that point, you probably just say, let's go all in. Yeah. Okay, uh, the next story I wanted to talk about is Tim Miller taking over for Eli Roth on the Borderlands movie. But we're going to have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, so as you know, Eli Roth is making a Borderlands movie. And it's actually all shot, but they are going to do reshoots. And according to Deadline, uh, Tim Miller who is the director of Deadpool and uh, Deadpool 2? Yeah, Deadpool 2. No, no, no. No, he did not direct Deadpool 2. David Leach directed Deadpool 2, and he directed Terminator Dark Fate. Oh, okay. Uh, well, anyways, Tim Miller is going to be replacing Eli Roth in the reshoots. This is something that doesn't happen that often in Hollywood, and usually when it happens, you know, there's speculation running rampant over like, you know, was the studio unhappy with the original director? You know, what is going on? Well, according to deadline, Eli Roth wasn't fired from borderlands. Uh, the reshoots just conflicted with his schedule. Uh, according to the report, Roth is otherwise engaged in developing Thanksgiving, a horror movie based on that mock trailer that was in, uh, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez's Grindhouse uh, about a decade ago. Uh, so he's preoccupied with developing that movie that he's been developing for, you know, over 10 years now to come to return for the two weeks of additional filming. And Miller is simply covering his back. Uh, I'm a little skeptical of that. I don't know anything about this, but uh, I will say this. Two weeks of reshoots is nothing. Uh, that doesn't mean they're like completely, you know, redoing the film like that. That That is very, very little for uh, a blockbuster size movie. It's not a lot. Yeah. So that makes me think that, like, you know, the movie wasn't like in huge trouble or, you know, this isn't like a uh, any of these situations that you've read about in the past. Uh, so l l let's put that off the table. But on the other hand, Eli Roth really can't. uh <laughs> Schedule two two weeks of shoots shooting, and he uh, because he's developing this movie he's been working on for over ten years. I don't know. What, what well, do you think I, of this, Ryan? I don't know. Look to me. Here's the thing. I know pre production, especially for a movie that is probably going to have a relatively short timetable of actual production, um, is very important. Uh, you're probably about seven weeks out from cameras rolling on Thanksgiving, based on this report. Um, and they're not saying precisely when these two weeks of reshoots are happening on Borderlands. You got to remember, you have Kevin Hart, you have Kate Blanchett, you have Jack Black, you have a lot of schedules to work around. 
Yeah. Um, it is entirely possible that these reshoots are not happening until like a couple of weeks before he's supposed to go. And then you're deep in pre-production to me. Here's the thing. I'm not one to like speculate crazily. I'm just saying based on the information we have in front of us, it doesn't seem like you said, one, that two weeks worth of reshoots are going to be enough to completely rework the entire movie. So it can't possibly be a disaster or it is. And they're just trying to sit, whatever. I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much. Tim Miller and Eli Roth are friends. So like, would Eli Roth really be chill with having his movie taken away from him and given to a friend of his? Probably not. No. Um, I've, I've heard from people that have read the script for this movie, that the script is great. So like, and by the way, the script is by both Roth and uh, Craig Mazin, who did um, Chernobyl. Chernobyl, yeah, and and the Last of Us show. So it's like, look, I'm not. Again, who knows? But like, it doesn't seem that crazy to me. Like it does. It seems like something that you know they weren't expecting these two weeks worth of reshoots, and you know Hollywood is what it is, and the wheels turn when they turn, and. You know, Eli probably had hit the, you know, his contractual obligations and signed up to do this other movie and a lower budget thing is harder to push for various reasons. Like, I sort of get that. So I don't know, like until I see evidence that things are like really ugly to me, looking at this, it doesn't seem that far fetched that. No, it is actually just what it is being reported to be. Maybe that's rose colored glasses on my part, but that's sort of how I read it. I think I just come from a world of cynicism, Ryan, because every time you see like one of these reports uh, and usually it'll be reported by like one of the trade papers and uh, it will feel like the studio gave them the the way that, uh, you know, here's the reason why, you know, blah, 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 left the pro you know, and it, it's usually like this amicable split of some kind. I don't know. I, I I can buy what you're you're laying out here, so I'm not I'm not, I'm not going to dispute this. Uh, it, and it clearly, Eli Roth has a lot more investment in this Thanksgiving thing than he does in probably, you know, Borderlands. You're making a movie. You, I'm guessing. I'm I'm assuming here that Eli Roth has a lot less creative control in Borderlands. There's a lot more people involved in that production than thanksgiving which is kind of his baby and he's been trying to make for over a decade so i'm guessing uh he's also has just more investment in thanksgiving at this point but um maybe that's just me reading between the lines and stuff but also two weeks worth of reshoots on a gigantic blockbuster is not remaking his movie yeah you know what i mean and he's still there's no it's not saying he got pulled away from the edit room it's entirely possible that whatever tim miller shoots Eli Roth still gets to have a say in how that's put together in the editing room. It's still his movie, you know, like it's, there's no, there's no evidence yet that this is like a Zack Snyder's justice league (laughs) situation. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know, we'll see, but, but I, I just like, I really like borderlands a lot. I like the people involved in this movie. I sort of hopeful that like the movie turns out well. So I think again, maybe it's rose colored glasses, but I also don't like, I'm not a huge fan of like perpetuating like craziness until there's reason to right like and even and even if it does sort of like work out that maybe there's some issues maybe there's this maybe that all you need to do is look at something like rogue one where like yeah gareth edwards kind of had that movie taken away from him in the edit room and 
yeah, um, Tony Gilroy came in and did a lot of reshoots and stuff in the edit, but Rogue One is amazing. So sometimes that helps. World War Z was kind of a disaster, and then they did a bunch of stuff, and I like World War Z quite a bit. Um, Doctor Strange had a lot of reshoots and retooling, and I think that first Doctor Strange movie's great. So sometimes this is necessary, and sometimes it really is for the better. And, you know, so be it. Yeah, look at my 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 favorite movie of all time, Back to the Future. They've reshot so much of that movie. They replaced the main actor from the movie with Michael J. Fox, and uh, it, you know it's my favorite movie of all time. So, with reshoots are not a bad to thing. Eric Stoltz. Yeah. Well, have you ever seen the footage of Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly? I've seen bits of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's I don't know. It would have been interesting, but it would not have been the same movie at all. It was a smart move. It's but again, that's the point. Is sometimes it's you know so. I'm just choosing not to get like all negative and conspiracy theory about this until, you know, like the time is right. Yeah. I also don't have any investment over Borderlands movie. Are you excited about Borderlands? Uh, aside from uh, Craig Mazin, he's the one that probably has me the most excited about this. I never played all of the games, but the first Borderlands is incredible. And I think the world is pretty ripe for an adaptation. I mean, I think the cast is wonderful. Uh, I, I, I'm i hopeful for this. I think this could be good. And I think Eli Roth is one of those guys that I haven't historically liked a lot of his movies, but like, I've always felt that with the right material, he's a guy that I could like a lot. Um, and this is one of those things where I'm like, oh yeah, like this felt like it could be the thing that I'd like to see. So yeah, I had hope for it, you know, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, okay, lastly, I want to talk about Face Off, uh, the is it called Face Off? They're doing a Face Off sequel, and I think it's called Face Off. They haven't totally said yet. So, so there's been talk for I think a little over a year now, uh, pretty much since Godzilla vs Kong came out, that Adam Wingard of uh, Godzilla vs Kong and uh, Blair Witch fame and his uh, writing partner Simon Barrett uh, are working on a. <laughs> I still laugh every time I say it. A sequel to Face Off. Um, <laughs> And I love and I love Face Off. Like, unironically, it's it's a it's a movie, but like, it is a it is a '90s movie with like John Travolta and Nicolas Cage at the height of their powers doing what they do. Um, it is boy, is it a movie? And and so Nicolas Cage is out promoting his new western, The Old Way, and uh, you know he's Nicolas Cage. He's not keeping the lid on a lot of stuff. There's been talk that he might be coming back for this movie as unlikely as that seems. And speaking with Collider, he gave us our first little bit of plot stuff. And uh, he said, I think Face Off is a sequel that lends itself to a lot of twists and turns and unpredictability. It's almost like if you factor in the idea of Offspring and Caster and Sean, uh, the characters he and um, John Travolta played, having children and these children grow up. Then it becomes like three-dimensional chest. And then it's not just the two, John Travolta and myself, it's four of us ping-ponging and going at different levels. And it becomes even more complex. I think there's a lot of fertile ground there. I had maybe one meeting in an office, but I haven't heard anything since. So I don't know. Uh, now, after that sort of came out, Simon Barrett, the screenwriter, uh, was asked on Twitter if that's legit and uh, or and if Cage had sort of slipped. And Simon Barrett said he did. It's super cool. And we're both honored he seems to like our idea. So this is indeed seemingly what Adam Wingard and Simon <laughs> Barrett have in mind. Um and this oh, is interesting, my. too, because when this was first announced, people were can, kind of confused, like, is it a sequel? Is it a remake? Like, you know, there was a lot of confusion what this is, but it, it now sounds like it's one of those legacy equals, right, where it has them reprising their roles, but also a new generation 
of uh, their their offspring. Uh, are they all going to swap faces? What's going to? Go- what do you think? What do you think about this, Ryan? It's the face off awakens. Um, I uh, yeah. I I mean, look, I love Adam Wingard. Like I full on love Adam Wingard, and uh, I I think you know the guys only really had one miss for me. Like, uh, you know, so like, I mean, if they actually get to make this and Nick cage and John Travolta both come back, I don't know if it can be good, but God, am I interested? Like I am way interested in seeing what that looks like. And I'm also very interested. Like, do people care? Like, is this something people will show up for at what budget level do people show up for this? I just, this fascinates me from every single angle. Something can fascinate me. Um, I, I mean, I think the pitch makes sense. It's, I don't know how the hell you bring those characters back. Cause like John Travolta's character lived, but like Nicholas Cage's character died. So it's like, I have no idea how you, how you even do this. But I, I, you know, I, of course I'm in, of course I would go see this. Of course I will be there. I completely forgot about the death. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you do it. I mean, I, I mean, we, we presume he died, right? Like, you know, it's like one of those, I mean, who knows? Cause the thing is, if you're making a sequel to face off, I think audiences are going to go in there and be like, yeah, all right. Like this is face off too. We don't need to treat it like Shakespeare. You know, we can, there can be a bit of a silly like explanation for both characters coming back. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I am. And I don't know, like I, I, again, it seems silly, but like, so did the original. It's a lot of fun and it's held out and it made a lot of money. So like, why, you know, I don't know. Why not? I mean, I love the original face off. So I, I'm excited to see what they do here. Not, not a lot of these like sequels ever end up being as good as the original. I mean, that's not saying anything, uh, unobvious. Uh, so I'm a little worried what, what what they're going to do to the, the face off legacy, I guess. But, uh, you know, if, uh, Travolta and cage are back in, I mean, Ryan, it's not like cage makes, movies that are bad right like when he signs on to something a movie has to be good i think uh, i'm being facetious I think, here i think no i get it but i think at this stage in his career i think cage is actually being a little bit more deliberate with his choices because yeah. he can be for the first time in a long time um you know like he's not just making like he's at least picking projects now that like are like okay like i can see maybe they're not all going to be home runs but he's at least looking at stuff that where there's potential on the page so i think for him to to do this i don't think that he would just sign on just for the check i think he would need to feel like okay is does this at least have the chance to be good um so you know that to me is is because like he's not officially on signed on yet so to me like that's kind of you know yeah we'll see i don't know i'm i'm curious i'm so curious and, and the fact that he hasn't had a meeting since that meeting that he was, he was talking about. Does that indicate that like how far into, into this actually happening are we? Well, so what I think happened is Simon wrote the script and, and Adam probably had a hand in it, but Adam Wingard is currently making that Godzilla versus Kong sequel, which uh, is supposed to come out, I think next year. So I would imagine that, you know, it would be one of those things where once principal production is done on that Godzilla versus Kong sequel, he might start getting some irons in the fire with getting this moving that this could maybe be his next movie after that. So you would look at this maybe filming late 2024, 
you know, if I were to like just take a take a guess. Um, but I also think he aren't they developing a Thundercats movie too? Him and Simon, I think. Oh, so like, I think so. I think he yeah, might. Yeah, so right like so so um but I know so like basically what it is right now is like the studio has not given a green light to face off to. So what I think is going on is Adam Wingard has like two potential movies in development where like, you know, basically he's he's like, okay, which one of these goes? You know, and, and face off two could be one of them or or I think maybe uh, yeah, the, the Thundercats movie as of May of last year, Adam Wingard is, is on. So so it's either Thundercats or face off two is I think is kind of where it's heading. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please head on over to our Apple podcast page. Uh, write us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.